0: All right, well welcome, welcome to our special edition of Questions You Didn't Ask. Um, Today I'm bringing back our guest, Dr. Willie Parker. You'll recognize him and his voice, his thoughts, um, his charisma, and his passion for reproductive justice, um, the health of black people from our fourth series called Reproductive Justice, Where the Brother's At. Um, Today we'll be talking about the Roe v. Wade decision and, you know, one of the things that's come to me is the land of the free and home of the brain, right? And how challenging that moniker is at a time like this. Um, before we dive in and open it up for Dr. Parker um, to share with us his thoughts and ideas and for us to exchange in conversation, I just want to share a couple of statistics, Um, One is from the Kaiser Family Foundation, um, and that is a breakdown of reported legal abortions by race of women who obtained abortion by the state of occurrence. So this one is basically just an overall, you know, how, what is the percentage of women um, by race and ethnicity, right? And so in the United States, 33% of white women, 38% of black women, 21% Latino, and 7% other. Now, we got to do something better about that other category Kaiser Family Foundation from a health equity perspective, Um, but that is what we have right now. The March of Dimes, um, they uh, gave some statistics on infant mortality rates by race, ethnicity, um, looking at data from 2017 to 2019 using a rate per 1,000 statistics. So that basically means that Out of 1,000 births, five uh, experienced infant mortality that were Hispanic. Out of 1,000 births, 4.6 experienced infant mortality that were white. Out of 1,000 births, 10.8 experienced infant mortality that were Black. American Indian, Alaska Natives, 8.4 per 1,000 and Asian Pacific Islander, 3.8 per 1,000. When I look at the National Center for Health Statistics and they break down maternal maternal mortality rates, um, they also use uh, a similar uh, way to count. They say uh, that they're looking at deaths per 100,000 live births. So one of the things that I want you to understand is that a maternal death as defined by World Health Organization is the death of a woman while pregnant or within 42 days of termination of pregnancy, irrespective of the duration and the site of the pregnancy. So that could be a topic that could be in the womb, what have you, from any cause related to or aggravated by the pregnancy or its management, but not from accidental or incidental causes. So in 2020, 861 women were identified as having died of maternal causes in the United States, right? And the maternal mortality rate for 2020 was 23.8 deaths per 100,000 live births compared with a rate of 20.1 in 2019. So these are a lot of numbers. But I think the big picture here is that when we look at non-Hispanic black women, they were 2.9 times, almost three times um, more likely to um, experience maternal mortality than non-Hispanic white women. Um, The other thing that I want to share is that, you know, we also on this podcast have been very intentional about our episodes. We think about, you know, what is health equity um, and what are the things that are not getting talked about, right? So the first one we were talking about um, how difficult it is for some people to get pregnant, right? So we were talking about infertility. Then we were talking about um, what happens when someone needs to give up their baby, right? So we talked about abortion or what happened, not abortion, adoption. And then we talked about what happens if the, if the child is taken away from them. So we talked about the foster care system. We talked about um, kinship care. So how our culture brings these children in and 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 brings them up. Then we also talked about you know what is it like for parents who have a child that has a disability? What's it like for them to parent those children? And finally, we landed on this topic of reproductive justice, where the brothers at, because we recognize that when we when we are threatened. Um, our reproductive justice is threatened or reproductive rights are threatened. It tends to be women that are standing up to address this issue, but we know that it takes two to tango, right? You have to have a penis that delivers a sperm through a vagina into her womb to meet an egg, to get fertilized in order for a, a person, a human to develop inside of her womb. Now, once that happens, there's a whole lot that's going on outside of that woman, in that woman, and between that those two people that dictate whether or not this baby is going to, these people can take care of this baby, right? And whether or not they want to. So now we're in a space where initially we had a choice. And I shouldn't even say initially, just for the last 50 years, we had a choice as to what we were going to do. If if a woman found herself pregnant. We know that these choices don't just affect that woman. It affects the man. It affects the family. It affects the community. It affects the healthcare system, right? And obviously it affects politics because people are all up in arms about it. If if you or someone you know or care about ever had to go to get an abortion, they experience people outside of that healthcare facility harassing them. And trying to shame them, or trying to harm them, or trying to harm their healthcare provider for the because they were providing this service. Now we're at a in a space where our Supreme Court has been set up so that it could overturn Roe v. Wade. And if you've been paying attention to politics for at least the last forty years, you have heard Republicans specifically vetting their um, different uh, political uh, uh, government officials and judges asking them over and over again, are you willing to overturn Roe v. Wade? So with that, we know that it's been a long process. Um, So I'm gonna pause right there and open the floor a little bit more to, uh, or open the floor all the way to Dr. Parker to give us some of his reflections and insights, at least initially on this particular topic, considering that we live and have been raised in a country that is proud to call itself land of the free and home of the brave.
1: Well, uh, Naisha, uh, thank you for inviting me back uh, and uh, having to have a chance to uh, put some Contexts, uh, as well as to talk about the, the 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 reality of what this has meant for women and pregnant people. Uh, as of last Friday, as you noted, the Supreme Court reversed uh, the Roe Roe the the legal precedent of Roe v. Wade, which was the overarching federal power to prevent states from trampling the rights of American citizens, or anybody in this country, uh, uh, their right to privacy, their right to to health, safety, and dignity, and while we don't, there's no constitutional right per se to privacy or to right to abortion. The federal uh, law prevented states from uh, interfering with. Uh, a pregnant person or a woman's uh, ability to make that decision, at least in the first trimester, and when that came down, as you said, if anybody's been paying attention, uh, and the uh, there has been a steady march towards uh, this moment, uh, intensified in the last forty years, but. It's been going on since January 23, 1973. That was the day after Roe was passed. So, mm-hmm. all that's to say, abortion has never been uncontested in this country. Sometimes more than others, but there's it was a steady, uh, on-message, uh, disciplined approach to getting to the court, to the place where it, this could happen. And what that, once it happened, uh, I was telling uh, some of your staff. About the fact that what that meant for the women that I saw in at Little Rock Family Planning Clinic in Arkansas, where I'm the medical director, last Tuesday, I counseled a young woman who's 20 years old, or at least who was 20 years, 20 weeks pregnant. Excuse me, uh, at yeah. of the time she saw me. Uh, well, well, let me back up. She was 19 weeks on the day that she saw me, but she had to wait 72 hours because of the mm-hmm. Arkansas law. But she had waited four weeks for that appointment because she came from Texas, uh, we had that much of a backlog. And so she probably tried to make her appointment at 15 weeks, finally got an appointment at 19 weeks in order to have her procedure at 20 weeks. And uh, on Friday, the clinic closed. So that young woman Mm. will be denied the care that she jumped through all of the hoops to get the five to six hour ride to Arkansas the fees that she paid to have an ultrasound and to receive counseling and the blood work uh the travel back home only to be informed that she would now be able, not be able to have that care um so mm-hmm. this moment means that usually uh we have to have evidence that there is a a positive benefit or a value or uh to Justify having a law or a policy. The safety of abortion uh, and what it means to the health of of women and pregnant people is incontrovertible. It has a direct bearing on the numbers that you were citing. Um, These, in particular, uh, maternal mortality and uh, uh, infant mortality and uh, infant uh, uh, preterm birth. Those are mm-hmm. all. Indic- indicators of population-based health. In other words, mm-hmm. you can tell how healthy a community or a, a country is based on how its most vulnerable citizens do. And in mm-hmm. this case, it would be the newborn and women um, and pregnant people. And so, we, as you said, maternal mortality, which is the death of a woman in pregnancy, specifically because she was pregnant, so in mm-hmm. other words, if someone gets hit by a car while they're pregnant, that's a pregnancy-related thats a pregnancy-related death. But if she uh, uh, has a stroke because her blood pressure went up uh, mm-hmm. in pregnancy, that's a maternal mortality. So uh, the, 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 the fact that women can only become maternal mortality statistics if they're pregnant means that when you force women to stay pregnant, you force them to take the risk of becoming a maternal mortality simply because you have decided that uh, the value of fetal life is more important than the woman carrying it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's a specific ideology uh, which is not rooted in anything related to uh, health, justice, dignity, or safety that holds sway in this moment because it was able to uh, take control of the political levers of power to bring about this reality that shapes the world in a certain way that people who are not vulnerable to the policies that they make have imperiled people who have no power to change those policies Mm
0: -hmm. so you know you're talking about power you're talking about um you know, policies, you're talking about actual health, like actual lives, actual people, right? And one of the things that um you know I I talked about when I was on straight to tape uh yesterday um is my own experience where I had to make a decision about whether or not I wanted to be a parent. Um and then another experience where Um, the child that I wanted to have, um, was not a healthy fetus. Um, and when I go into these discussions and I hear these stories, especially about that woman who was turned away, I think, you know, how would I have felt, you know, how did I feel when I was going through these different things? I'm a psychologist, that's my first love. So I always think about the thoughts and the feelings that are surrounding an issue, surrounding a person. And I also think about the science behind how trauma is transmitted from a mother to the child and how that trauma is also passed down generationally. So, I'm going to go on a little bit of a journey um, to not just talk about that woman and how traumatizing that experience must have been to find the money, find the resources, be that determined to get this healthcare service performed by a healthcare professional in a healthcare facility, and then because of policy and politics, be turned away. That is traumatic. One, because, you know, I can't speak for all women, but for the women that I know and love, when they had to make that decision, it was not an easy one. And to get to the point of that level of conviction, for the women that I know and love who had to make those decisions, they didn't have to jump through those types of hoops. There were other hoops, right? There were hoops around well what is my parent what are my parents gonna think? Do I tell them? Who can I tell? you know, um, is this the right thing? Was I raised this way? quote unquote There's lots of other like social emotional um you know hoops, but not these physical hoops of actually having to travel, you know, this amount of money, these amount, this number of logistics. And then when I think about when I actually did have a child you know what that 20 week visit was like and so to have to carry that child all the way up to 20 weeks knowing that you're trying to get an abortion that's a lot of stress to carry a baby that you know you don't want or you can't take care of or um it's dangerous for you to carry or whatever um I'm going to pause there for a second and just ask you to talk a little bit more about what is not just these women that you have counseled, you know, but also like, what is your, your community of healthcare providers, your staff, what is their state of mind? How are they doing? What are they feeling?
1: Well, uh, you You uh, raise an interesting point uh, about the staff. You know, we focus on on the women and pregnant people, and that's exactly who it's supposed to be about. But because, as a as a as a healthcare provider yourself, you know that we're not machines, we're not automatons. Mm -hmm. In order to have the compassion and the humanity uh, that we have to infuse into the 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 healthcare skills that we deploy. the people that i that I work with and 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 I've been working there now two and a half years uh the people who worked there they were many of them were staff that had were long term staff some of them had been there twenty years some ten twelve years, but they had a high retention because these were people who were committed to this they had found their purpose in the same way that I found mine, and so it was that this was their sense of calling and they got paid to do it as employees but they went over and above uh, with the way in which they cared for women. Many of them had had abortion procedures themselves. Many of them, Some of them had actually come to that facility and had been so moved by the compassion that they received that they sought employment there. In fact, one of the last employees who came on board um, I had done her procedure and I remember mm. her, her uh, being so moved by the kindness and compassion and she happened to be looking for a job and she asked uh, and they were impressed with her and so she was kind of hired uh, on <laughs> that day that she came for her procedure. She was a part, a valuable part of the team and a part of it uh, having people who've gone through the process and experience mm-hmm. um they they can they can reach to places where i never can as a provider i can only identify so much and i don't think you have to have 100 -hmm. uh identity to have the um, appropriate amount of empathy to be compassionate to act on somebody's behalf but certainly they had an extra gear to kick in when they needed Mm -hmm. to for the person who needed that and these people are devastated and because it's almost like Well, it's not almost like it is. You find your purpose and you find the thing that gives your life meaning and the reason that you get up every day uh, and the reason that you can give more of yourself than you're actually being paid to do and then to have that taken away from you in Mm -hmm. some ways is as traumatic as being the person who uh, needs to get home, runs down to the subway platform, you get to the door and the door closes in your face. Mm-hmm. And know, it's, it's the last hard. train. And it's the last train, mm-hmm. and so that's 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 having your will and your spirit broken. So mm-hmm. they, the the staff felt it as much as the the women, and, and in some ways they 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 had extra trauma to deal with that I didn't, because as as the 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 staff who facilitate the logistics of the whole process, they were the ones who had to answer the calls and say, I'm mm. sorry, ma'am, we can't, we, we're, not, we're not making any future appointments. I'm sorry uh, mm-hmm. that you had an appointment for today, but as you might have seen on the news, the clinic, the, the decision allowing us to provide that care for you has been overturned, so we can't see you. So they mm. had to be there and feel the desperation and the anxiety and the, 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 the anguish of mm-hmm. the people who thought that they, it's almost like, again, uh, you're you're on the platform, the train is coming, you're standing there, and you're about to get on the train, and the door closes in your face. Mm-hmm. So the staff, they are traumatized, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they uh, are in a space right now. Like I said, yesterday and today, this time last week, we had a full clinic taking care of women hoping that this that, that what happened on Friday would last at least one more week mm. uh, and it and it didn't we did mm-hmm. we hadn't made any appointments into July we figured based on the on the on the, on the release of the um the uh the, the leaked memo mm-hmm. we knew that 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 they weren't going to change course highly impossible that they were going to change course and that we knew that the, the, the SCOTUS break comes up around the 1st of July. So we didn't have any appointments. We stopped making new appointments uh, about a month ago, but the ones that we were fulfilling were the ones that were a one month backlog. Right? Mm. So, so we had already been having to call and say, tell people we're not making new appointments, even as they were calling. And so they were called right up to the day that the clinic closed, even though we had to say no to all those people for new appointments. But we were trying to honor all the appointments that we had given a month prior. And as I said, the one woman that I remember in particular was the woman who was supposed to have come back yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. Who I had, I counseled her. Mm-hmm. And I was hopeful that I could provide. So I know in the abstract, I know the many, many women. But she, I see her face when mm-hmm. I think about what happened uh, on mm-hmm. Friday.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it's important, you know, that we humanize people like you, um, people like your staff. Um, When we talk about these issues, we don't usually get that human perspective of these healthcare providers that are doing so much um and having to deliver this news that are contrary to like you said their own motivation like it's almost like how do you even fix your lips to say that when you know what's on the other line right that's that mm-hmm. and it is traumatic mm-hmm. um i would like to talk a little more about that and and what do we do with that what do we do as a community to help to heal that. Um, And also, you know, cause I think we're all done with thoughts and prayers, right? <laughs> yeah. I believe in prayer. I know the power of prayer, but I also know that faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. So as much as I love to pray and I need to pray, I know that I also have to move. I also have to act. Sure. And, um, Our listeners are used to us sharing organizations with them, um, uh, learning about uh, different conferences um, and really, you know, having different opportunities for people to support folks that are in both the grassroots and the treetops, right? That are about advancing health equity, pursuing justice and healing trauma. What are your thoughts on that as we move forward in this space?
1: Well, I, I think, um, um, Dr. King says that we have to, uh, have to be able to manage, um, uh, definite disappointment and immediate disappointment, but we have to stay plugged into infinite hope. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember in a situ- situation where, you know, I take part of my resiliency in, my, in this moment, my uh, reckoning with what has happened, uh, I place it in the context of how the civil rights movement and the, the fight for racial justice uh, progressed and regressed Uh, And I I say that in past tense, but Mm -hmm. I should say in the present tense, uh, progresses and regresses. Uh, Dr. King had faced the task of how do you keep people hopeful in the the face of uh, immediate setbacks uh, that can cause despair. And he had to speak to civil rights workers in Georgia Mm -hmm. in the face of a setback. Where Lester Maddox, who was the notorious governor of Georgia, had politically created a setback to racial justice in, mm-hmm. in 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 Georgia, and the the workers were exasperated, and they said, you know, Dr. King, what we're just tired of this. You know, every time mm-hmm. we make two steps forward, we get pushed back four steps, uh, and and Lester Maddox just won't 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 let us get ahead. Mm-hmm. And Dr. King looked at his staff and said to them, you know, the last time I checked, God has not turned this world over to Lester Maddox.
2: Mm.
1: And it was to say that your trajectory, your hope, your resiliency, your efforts, your determination should not be rooted in the actions of people who uh, hold the sway for the moment. Mm-hmm. uh, 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 uh Dr. King said that the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of analogized and looked at it and said, okay, if the arc bends that way, those of us who are standing at the base of the Mm -hmm. arc when it's leaning the wrong way need to lean on it and push harder, Mm -hmm. right? And so that means that we have to find activities and efforts to, one, I posted that, you know, uh, the marches that happened, uh, which to me felt kind of, Frustrating that mm. why are we marching when the Supreme Court has ruled they're not mm-hmm. going to change their decision? But people were in the streets registering their dissent, and so that can be cathartic, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it it seemed to me like everybody in the streets were launching a big f bomb to the Supreme Court and to the 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 power uh, mm-hmm. the the politic that brought us to this moment that was jubilant and exultant in the fact that what they've worked for, for 40 years Mm. has finally come to fruition. And what the reality is, it's what came to fruition was what many of us complacently said would never happen. Mm. Right. Complacency. Our our politics were according, you know, we, we, we either failed to realize or lost sight of the fact that, Mm. that democracy is participatory. It's not a spectator Mm. sport. And so, uh, and, and it's not cyclical. Uh, every presidential election, it's every school board election, it's mm-hmm. every uh, board of supervisor election. And so, what we have to do is we have to realize that we're still in, the, in, in shy of of anarchy, which would legitimize the use of force and power to to decimate people who are actually raising their voice for their human rights that they're entitled to. Mm-hmm. We have to work within the system and work through the system. And more importantly, we have to change the system. Mm -hmm. We have to, we have to realize that, that the solutions, part of the solution is political, right? Mm -hmm. So now we have to say, okay, for the people who like to sip on what they sip on or Mm -hmm. smoke what they smoke and do what they do to relax and calm themselves. They need to do that and i hope they did that over the weekend and i hope on monday they said tomorrow we mm-hmm. fight tomorrow we we exert our will we lean on the moral arc of the universe to bend it towards justice you know and and we progress does not roll in on the wheels of inevitability as dr king would say so mm-hmm. as you said you got to make what happen what needs to happen you got to make it happen And Mm -hmm. if we believe that this is a moral universe and that uh, God, uh, if that's your understanding of reality and how you quantify uncertainty, that if if we believe that God is a just God or that the the moral arc of the universe is towards justice, then we have to conspire with the universe or God or however we understand reality to make it happen. So if we're caught in the middle of a lake right now and there's a storm, we have to pray to God, but we have to row to shore.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Most definitely. I mean, I, I you know, I, I like to say, don't talk about it, be about it. You know, um, right. you know, in this case, we are talking about it, but we are also calling people in. I also appreciate the fact that, you know, you're saying a part of dealing with this trauma and facing it is giving yourself a chance to, as you say, smoke what you smoke, drink what you drink, cry your cry, do your dance, lay out on the floor for about five minutes.
1: <laughs> Can we have seven?
0: <laughs> Maybe seven. <laughs> but the point is, is that you then gotta get up, you know, right. and and brush your teeth and wash your face, uh, get dressed in the morning and put, put your mind to it, right? And put your body to it. And uh, I definitely plan to do that. Um, I know one of the t- uh, frustrating things is the how, right? The what, um, mm-hmm. and I think that you hit the nail on the head and that we really have to uh, think outside of the box in terms of how our systems are constructed, how how our laws are written um how our courts are shaped um, what's going on in our church what's going on in our community are we talking about these things you know um, that are truly affecting um, our each other right because if we're not then like you said it's just like people just become complacent and they just think oh well it's legal now to always be legal even though they talk about it they don't really mean it no these people mean it yeah you know Um, and they mean a whole lot more too. They're not going to stop. This is not the end. This, there is a whole agenda. And one of the things that, okay, go ahead, Dr. Oh, I was just going to say to your Mm -hmm. point,
1: I, I had to say the amen to the fact that this, (laughs) this, this, the the, the, the the, the most serious thing as egregious as the loss of reproductive control for pregnant people is the precedent of, of, Of overlooking precedent, which has been Mm. a mainstay at the at the highest court level, Uh, uh, abortion law and Roe v. Wade was the settled law of the land. It was the sentinel question uh, that was asked of all of these nominees to make sure that they weren't Mm -hmm. ideologues placed on the court to do just what they did, and they all lied through their teeth Mm -hmm. to say that they they honored precedent and that Roe was the settled law of the land, only to when they had enough of them to, mm-hmm. to engage in thug mentality in a group mm-hmm. to say, hey, we're, we're, we're running this block and we know what the precedent does, but we think it was decided wrong. And because we have the numbers and the ability and the position to do so, we're changing the game. We're changing the rules of the game. So mm-hmm. now that, that pre- now this new precedent of overlooking precedent has been established, other things are vulnerable, like mm-hmm. the Brown v. Board decision. Uh, everything but Clarence Thomas's uh, mm. obvious overlooking of the Loving decision, which would mm-hmm. attack interracial marriage. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not hating on people. You love who you love, and you're with who you're with. But when he cited the litany of things that should come mm-hmm. next, like same-sex marriage and a whole bunch of other things, all of the litany of things that have been determined by Supreme Court decisions, uh, it was glaring that he left out the Loving the, love, the Loving decision in 1967, mm-hmm. which made interracial marriage possible. So mm-hmm. what's glaring about that is he happens to be in an interracial marriage, mm-hmm. and why did everything rise to the standard of being overturned but the thing that affects him? Mm-hmm. So the precedent is there uh, to to do more, and so, um, as Elmer Fudd would say, you should be afraid, be there, we away <laughs>
0: Yes, yes. And I think the other thing about precedent, you know, if we want to look back even further, there, and we we're not gonna look too far, but we're gonna look far enough, right? Because it's this is just a special episode. Y'all know me and Dr. Parker can talk and talk and talk. Oh, sure. Um, but when you look back and think about how black and brown bodies have been subjected to, um, uh, you know, controlling their reproduction uh, since the moment that we, you know, sets, put a first toe on this continent, right? Um, from the shores of Africa um, to, to being here in the United States as Black people, as African American people. This is not new. And when... Uh 45, you know, sang out that rally cry, let's make Mer- America great again. Um, It brought back a lot of bad memories for most people who are willing to remember, right? Um, Who are willing to remember our story and our experience and understanding that, you know, the whole point of Roe v. Wade was about allowing people to make a choice for themselves, right? Allowing them to be able to determine for themselves whether or not they were going to have a child, whether or not they were going to be a parent, whether or not um, they uh, they wanted to procreate, and 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 at what time, you know, there are plenty of people who said not right now, but later, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 the fact that, as I mentioned. Um, Before that, the technology and the know how is here. This isn't like some rare disease where we don't have a cure. You know exactly what to do and you know how to do it safely. Um, But you're saying we're going to take that choice away from you and dictate what you can and cannot do with your reproductive system. So when you think back on our history as African American people and you think about reproductive justice, um and this decision around roe v Wade what what bubbles to your mind
1: oh I you know the the uh, since we we are both theists or at least deists or god <laughs> god god believing people right. the, uh, god god the you know divinity prompted you to ask me this question because people are loath or are very afraid you know the horrific nature of of the transatlantic slave trade and American mm. slavery, unlike any other, the technology that existed at the time that allowed slavery to be the economic driver for the basis of this country that it became was unlike any other system of slavery. People talk about slavery was in the Bible, but it was not, slaves in the Bible had rights. Um, but when we talk about what what is similar about this moment to Uh, American slavery. In the same way that Jewish people won't let you draw any analogy or comparison to the Holocaust, there are those of us uh, who want to make sure that nobody diminishes the horror of American slavery and what we've experienced as black people by really checking you if you draw any analogy to slavery. But I think in this moment it's apropos and I've taken the notion because I thought, I think that if we look if we step back a little bit from the the specifics of slavery and the horror and the targeted horror that it visited on captured africans if you step back and look and see what was the moral infraction of slavery it's the same moral infraction that makes this moment unjust and immoral and mm-hmm. that is slave the the captured africans brought to this country made people a means and not an end all people should be means be ends I'm sorry they are they they are innately worthy they are the, made in the image of God they are they are subjects and not objects and what slavery did was it made people who are subjects objects in terms of their labor was stolen their bodies were stolen under the threat of death and under the threat of cruel punishment and so when you take somebody's liberties to be self-determinant, yeah. you make them, a, you, you reduce them to the status of a thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what Dr. King said the moral infraction of slavery was. And in that same regard, when you take control of somebody's reproductive capacity to have an interest in it beyond what their own interest is, mm-hmm. you've reduced them to the status of a thing. We've turned women and pregnant people into incubators. And when you Mm -hmm. take somebody who should be a subject and should be an end and you make them a means and make them an object, it is the exact same moral infraction in this moment of taking reproductive control away from women and pregnant people that the people who brought our ancestors to this continent committed. And no matter how they uh, try to make it humane or benevolent or paint it as a different picture in the eyes of God or anything that any standard of justice and humanity it it was immoral. And this, Mm -hmm. in the same capacity, by any standard of of taking people's dignity and their Mm -hmm. right to self-determination and their means to live life on their own terms, it is a moral infraction of the highest order and it is the epitome of inhumanity.
0: Mic drop. It is. It is just that, um, you know, I, I was and I'm I'm going to start to wrap up soon because I know I got to tell myself that I got to tell myself that because <laughs> I love these conversations and I appreciate our audience. I appreciate you, our producers. Um, but, you know, the challenge is that this idea. So like I was looking at what what are some of the arguments. Right. That led to this and this idea that literally women are incubators because they believe that once the once the egg and the sperm meets and you have a fetus then that is a person separate from the mother
1: you know and so <laughs> go ahead I'm sorry I was just going to I was going to so say I'm sorry for jumping in nice mm-hmm. about this is is also a non-scientific understanding of reproduction yeah. and it harkens yeah. back to even before we had the microscope and understood that uh that that there was a time when they didn't even understand that 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 gametogenesis and that a sperm and an egg came together. They used to think of the semen or the sperm as a seed. Mm-hmm. And that there was a tiny human being in the head of each sperm that's called a oh, homunculus, wow. a small body. And so, hence the, the the terminology around the seed uh, mm-hmm. being planted. You know, if you plant a seed in the soil, the soil only contributes nutrition to the seed. The genetic
0: mm-hmm. makeup and
1: the and the and the, and the and the the uh, the growth capacity and mm-hmm. all the potential in a seed uh, is inside that seed. The soil mm-hmm. or where you plant it only nourishes it, and so. The original non-scientific understandings of reproductions were that women didn't contribute anything other than an incubator. They were incubators, right? Mm-hmm. And so then that means that's why paternity was such a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the the it was a property right. That's why mm-hmm. in the Bible the whole the, one of the verses that they abuse and say that uh, and say it's uh, a, a, a uh, that abortion is murder they overlooked the verse that said if a, if if a woman uh, is not as woman is pregnant and she's knocked down during a battle between her husband and another man if she loses that pregnancy it is not murder that the person who caused the the spill has to pay the man uh, a, a a a tort or a penalty for mm. the loss of his property but if the mm. woman dies during that skirmish that's murder so it is it is a non-scientific understanding that brings us to this moment, despite now all the scientific evidence that we have, that it's that, so all that to say that policy should be driven by data and evidence-based practice and not by anecdote or religious understanding, and yet religious understanding brought us to this moment where we're denying women and pregnant people their essential
0: health care. Isn't that interesting? I mean, because Sorry to both. Of, you. No, you're good. Yeah. You're good. This is wonderful. Um, but it's interesting how we use faith and we understand faith. And when we're talking about faith, you and I happen to be Christians, and mm-hmm. we acknowledge that, understanding that Christianity is not the only faith. It is not right. the only truth. And I know that some of my Christian brothers and sisters may be upset with me, but that's not how I live my life. Um, I believe in the Bible as my truth, what guides me, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't impose that on anyone else. So that's the reason why I'm calling this special episode Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, question mark, okay? Because we are not allowing for people to be free. We are not allowing people to make the brave decisions that they need to make in order to be free, right? We -hmm. are imposing... Um, rules and laws and regulations and um, and and paternalism and and all that sexism and everything else racism oppression capitalism and imposing it on our people and saying that we're great for it Um, the good news is is that what makes me still proud to be an American is that we also have a long history from the beginning starting with Native Americans of resisting, um, continuing with you know, African Americans of resisting, continuing with a number of other uh, people uh, that have come here and helped to build this country and had to deal with oppression and resisted in order to make our country better. So um, before we close out, I'm gonna give Dr. Parker the last, word and uh, hand it over to him and sign out.
1: Well, I want to thank you for inviting me back to the show. And uh, in this moment, part of what is my therapy, uh, uh, Madam Psychologist, is <laughs> having the opportunity to speak truth into the ether uh, mm-hmm. with the abiding faith uh, that that uh, truth even pressed to earth as it is in this moment, Dr. King said, will rise again. And the pendulum will swing the other way. We have to stay the course. Uh, If if We want to swing the pendulum to swing uh, back towards uh, a a level of decency and humanity in this country where we honor the dignity of all people, uh, Mm -hmm. including people who can become pregnant. uh, We have to stay the course. Those of us uh, as the, the old Negro spirituals used to say, well, or the civil rights song, we who believe in freedom cannot rest. And yes. until we all are free, none of us are free. So we have to, as you said, we kept, we got to be about it, about it. We can't just <laughs> talk about it. We got to do it. Be about so, it, yes. Be about it. Democracy is a participant. It's not a spectator sport. No. So we, those who've been on the sidelines have to get in the game
0: Mm -hmm. most definitely all right now well you guys have heard it here this is another special edition of questions you didn't ask with dr willie parker and naisha Frey. thank you again for joining us and we'll see you soon